I want to remind you of a little bit of where we're at. We've kind of had uh, kind of a funny, uh, we, we started this series, uh, um, Good News in a Changing World, uh, back in January or the end of January or beginning of February and had big plans for how this was all going to go out and, and uh, uh, we had a number of things that have happened in the midst of that. We had a couple of snowstorms that uh, um, I think there was a time, I think it was it was my family and Ed that were here for that Sunday, and and uh, when we had remember some of those snowstorms and ice storms and all that. What's that? My mic is on. Yep. So we had we had all that going on, and then in the midst of all all that, also I I started look, I had a certain plan in terms of uh, this this series. There was a couple of chapters I was going to skip. Well, then I decided later on, and with all that, I decided not to skip them and. So here's what we did. Um, we went through chapters one through six of Mark. And then I thought, well, you know what? The series is not going to, it was supposed to match up on Easter. We were supposed to be in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 on Easter time. Well, we had already thrown that out the window. And so we kind of came, we jumped from six to th 11, and then we did 12. And then we skipped 13, and we went to 14, 15, and 16. And then we had, we went back after Easter. We went to chapter 13, and then... Today we're going to seven. So are you confused about it? I know I am. I'm, I'm just kind of messed up about this. But, but hopefully, what I hope we don't miss in this is Mark is just an incredible book. If you look at him, if you look at the word pictures that he has, if you look at the way that he writes and, and the things that he emphasizes, um, it's, just an, it's just a fascinating, fascinating book. And I, my, my hope, my prayer, as soon as I saw that you know, we're not going to stay on schedule, we're not going to do what we wanted to do, my hope and my prayer is that we would still, we would still get uh, the, the most that we can out of this book, just looking at it, that, that that wouldn't mess us up. And, and um, Anyway, I want you to turn to chapter 7. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you that this, this week, chapter 7, as I've looked at this, this has just really been a fascinating, fascinating... Uh, I've looked with this text, at this text here with fascination. I, I have to really tell you, though, that I've really wrestled with this text. I mean, mess... It... This text has wrestled with me as well, and um, I have been drawn to it. I have been repelled by it. I've, it's just an interesting series of events as I look at this. At least for me, it's just an interesting series. But Mark chapter 7, verse number 1 says this, if you look at that. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Um, happens at my house all the time. <laughs> the Pharisees and all the Jews, you see this, uh, this little statement here in, in parentheses, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many of the uh, many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, "Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands?" And he replied, "Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites." As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on 
to the traditions of men. And I read that text, and I'm, I, you know, I just see myself clearly here. I mean, I'm not saying that I see myself clearly in the text. I, I'm just saying that I see myself clearly standing by, beside Jesus, and I'm, you know, it's kind of like I'm pointing my finger at those Pharisees, and I'm going, you just give it to them, Jesus. Give it to them, right? I mean, I clearly identify with the teller of this particular story because, well, frankly, I just, I just don't like the legalistic, the legalistic attitude of the Pharisees. And so I, I, I identify with them. I, I mean, after all, well, you see the dilemma that they're creating, don't you? You see it right here. The disciples, they didn't wash their hands. I mean, in a clean America, I mean, <laughs> where every bathroom you go to has that sign, you know, please wash your hands. You know, surely we've figured it out by now. You know, 20 minutes, uh, or 20 seconds, I mean. 20 seconds, on it, you know, with some soap and some warm water and, you know, make sure that you get under the nails a little bit. And only it wasn't that kind of washing. This was nothing more than a ceremonial washing. Make sure that you put some holy water on your hands to wash off all of that dirt that, that you picked up out of there in the marketplace when you've rubbed shoulders with the Gentiles and, and the pagans and those Samaritans, you know. Well, you just fill in the blank, you know, anyone that's unacceptable that you've somehow touched or got close to. And I'm standing here thinking, man, yes, Jesus, give it, give it to them because we shouldn't be like that. Uh, maybe it's because when I was growing up, there were all these, I, I know, I grew up in, in mainly in the 70s, but I mean, you know, back in the 60s, the, the, there was a lot of churches around that, there's a lot of these discussions about, you know, what was right and uh, what was wrong. You know, you couldn't go to movies, you couldn't play cards, you couldn't, you couldn't watch television or things like that. I remember um, just a lot of that discussion around and. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that it all affected my family or my church, but I mean, there was always this, you had to be careful because, well, that family over there might like, not like teaching or might not like television because, because that's what they were taught. And my family actually didn't play cards. Um, the interesting, it, it's really confusing to me because, but cards were evil and they were of the devil. And, 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 and it was just this framework. And it's kind of weird that after my grandfather died, the cards came out. <laughs> we, we kind of figured out where it came from. But, but a lot of churches, you know, I remember driving down the street and going, oh, those people in that house are having a card party. <laughs> you know, and it's just all that. It, it's just, it's just uh, you know, um, I was also thinking about this week, about this lady. I, I worked for this guy, and he was, he was deeply religious. And, and I don't remember how we got the job. I painted his house. I did all this work for him. But, but he, this, this guy that... He wouldn't let his, his wife, he was pretty strict, he wouldn't let his wife have a, have a serious catalog because he didn't want her to sin the sin of covetousness of, you know, because she'd be looking at that catalog and, and she wasn't going to be able to have any of that anyway, right? And that's, uh, I, I, I just think about some of that in the way that the, the atmosphere or the, the culture of that in the church and it's that narrow, rigid kind of Christianity that forces you down this little path that somebody else has created for you. And I didn't like it. And so I stand there, I stand here with Jesus, and I'm just saying, give it to him, give it to him. 
And I believe that's true. I, 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 uh, I think that there's this danger of getting caught up in legalism. Um, but I also think there's an equal danger of being caught in, um, well, the fancy word for it is antinomianism. Um, it basically just means lawlessness. That's what it is. Uh, lawlessness. It's, it's uh, well, it's, you know, it's just a rejection of, of any kind of rules. And, and I wrestled with this text here, and I found myself realizing that the text was kind of speaking in two different directions. You know, in standing beside Jesus, maybe it might not be where I was. So I thought I'd move on. Verse number 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But, but you say that if a man says to his father or mother, uh, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own traditions that you have handed down, and you do many other, many other things like that. And so he gives this illustration of what he means. He, uh, you know, I looked at it, and it's kind of an odd sort of command, I think. Um, but the thing, that was, uh, the thing was this, is if you had a certain piece of property, or if you had, say, you know, a certain amount of money. Um, and you could say over this money, you could say, Corbin. You could say that. And uh, that just meant that I'm, 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 this is belonging to God now. And, and really what all that means is, there, is that, therefore, this can't be used for any other purposes but for God's purpose. Well, at least for... You know, it can't be used for anything other than something that belonged to God. But then you could use it for yourself. You could use it for yourself, and at the same time, your parents didn't have to have it. I mean, it was kind of a convenient way. Here, here's the bottom line. It was kind of a convenient way of getting out of being responsible. And so I thought to myself, you know, that, that, that's really interesting. You know, religion as an excuse um, I mean, that's just such a great idea. You know, use your religion as an excuse not to be obedient to God. And I, I remember people doing that. I, uh, I mean, I guess, well, I guess that what I remember is people who were religious, but it didn't seem to in any way impact, I mean, you know, the basic rules of their life. I can remember as a young minister, I, we had this person who came to church one Sunday and uh, she, she had been there for the first time, and, and I, she came in, and, and she was standing there all by herself, and, and so I went up, and I started to talking to her, and uh, um, I guess I didn't know any better. But, but then I just happened to kind of notice this small group over there um, on the side, and they were all kind of whispering to each other and amongst themselves talking about this gal because they knew this gal, and they, you know, they'd grown up with her, and they knew her reputation in the community, and then... And it was just kind of this surreal type situation where I was like, whoa, what's happening here? And, uh, but I was talking to her, and, I, and, and as I was talking, she just, she just kind of just said, hey, I need a Bible. And uh, 
I, I literally didn't have one at the time, and I just said, you know what? Why don't you take one of our pew Bibles? We had just gotten some new Bibles for our pews, and I thought, you know what? We have more than enough. We've got a stack of them in the back that we can fill in the place here. And I said, you know, you just take one. Well, <laughs> so she sat through service, and uh, she just grabbed that little pew Bible, and she, you know, at the end of the service, she started heading out of the church. Well, you know what happened? Some people saw her heading out of the church with one of our pew Bibles. <laughs> they thought she was stealing a Bible. Um, we got it straightened out. And she did end up with a pew Bible. Um, and actually, we've, you know, I think we grew. I, I, I know we did. As a church, we kind of realized and started to kind of stop and to, to focus on what's really important here. You know, losing a pew Bible or having somebody get closer to Jesus, right? That's the focus, right? Because that's really what, what, um, that's really what I thought would be such a good an opportunity when this, when I saw this gal in the first place, is just here's a, here's an opportunity for her to be introduced to Jesus. And I, I, I have to to admit I, w- I was pretty upset um, with how we treated her and how we. How we how we really responded to her and I and but it's it's just religion as an excuse not to do which is right. And and then I got to thinking about this text. You know, the problem is that if you look at a text of scripture long enough, that's when you get into trouble. Because then I began to think about the fact that you know after I became a Christian, you know somebody said to me said yeah you know don't don't hang around with non Christians anymore. Don't hang around with them. And I took that pretty seriously, and, and since my friends were not Christians, I, I used my religion as an excuse to become a worse friend than I, than, rather than a better one. And so I just decided to keep looking in this text because I wasn't liking what I found so far, right? Verse number 14. Uh, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And you, are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil come from inside and make a man unclean. And I looked at this whole clean, unclean thing, you know, uh, this whole inside, outside thing. And, and to be really honest with you, one of the things that was intriguing to me was verse number 19. Check that out again. That little statement there in, in the parentheses has little brackets around it that Mark just inserts into Jesus' comment there when by saying this, Jesus made all things clean. And, and I got to thinking about the contents of Mark's gospel and I realized that Mark's gospel was probably written by the reflections of Peter because Mark and Peter were, were pretty close and you know, maybe even related And I got to thinking about the fact that I wonder how much impact the later events in Peter's life might have had on Mark's little 
phrase here that we see in parentheses. Do you remember Acts chapter 10? Peter's up on the rooftop. He's fasting, he's praying, and, and he comes down, and, and all of a sudden all of this, 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 this sheet comes down from, from heaven, and it's covered with all kinds of, of unclean animals. And Peter hears this voice, and it says, Peter, kill and eat. And, and you know, Peter says, I've never had any un anything unclean. I'm not eating that. And there's three times that this vision comes, and finally Peter says, oh, okay. You know, maybe there aren't some supposed to be uh, unclean after all. And, and he ends up in this Gentile's house giving him the gospel, which was really kind of strange. And, and then a little bit later in, in Peter's life, he's in the city, and he's eating with some Gentile people, and some of the Jews show up from Jerusalem. So here's, here's Peter, and he's eating with these, and all of a sudden the Jews show up, and it's like, <gasps> and, he, and they're, they're like, they're, they've got some sort of a disease, and and so Peter just kind of, you know, he, all of a sudden he doesn't want to eat with those Gentiles anymore. And, and they have this confrontation in the book of Galatians uh, between Peter and Paul. And, and I just wonder if in the back of Peter's mind, if he's not looking back on this text, you know, and I, I don't know, he's he just, th you know, thinking, you know what, I, maybe I didn't figure it out that day, but I now understand. I've got this figured out. Jesus was trying to tell us that cleanness doesn't have anything to do with the externals. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe the lesson in this sermon is sometimes it, it just takes us a while. You know, if you just stick around long enough, if we grow long enough, pretty soon we begin to understand things as, as the events occur. And I looked at this text and I played with it and I thought, you know what, this will preach. If, if you notice, there's 13 different sins here. And you know, if, if nothing else, I could just stand up here and I could just you know, talk about those 13 sins. I mean, that's not hard to work with. I mean, this goes, this goes everywhere from, you look at those, those, it goes from thoughts to attitudes to actions and you could cover the universe with this text. Then I got to thinking, you know, this text cuts both ways. I could actually pick the things from that list of 13 that I'm not guilty of. And I could talk about all those things. In fact, if I were going to do that, that's exactly what I would do. I would pick the stuff that, that I'm not guilty of. I'd pick the stuff that you're guilty of. <laughs> I got to thinking, you know what? When you read scriptures, it tends to cut both ways. I got to thinking about the book of Hebrews where, where it says that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. I, I got to thinking about the image of, of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 where it says that it's this image uh, that, that he has a sword with, with, with two sharp edges coming out of his mouth. I got to thinking about the time that Susan and I took my parents to the North American Christian Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. I mean, the convention center, center had it all figured out. This, this center had, we, we had 25,000 people at this convention. They didn't have much places for eating for lunch. They did have a food court, 
and they figured that they would make a slaying. I mean, they jacked their prices up, and they had us all right there. There wasn't much else place to go. And, um, I mean, you can see the nightmare, can't you? 25,000 people in a food court, and where are you going to go? And so we did, my mom and dad and I and, Su and Susan and I, we, we did what most, uh, what other convention attenders decided to do. We decided to, to, to kind of check out the city and, you know, we investigated a few blocks farther than the convention center and, and we decided to try to find a place to eat around there. And I remember there, there really wasn't a lot of options. It was really kind of crazy convention. There just was not a lot of places to go to find. It just wasn't planned well that way. Um, but I remember we were looking at, we wanted to go to the, we, we saw the spaghetti factory. Sounds like a great deal. So we started heading that way, six blocks from the convention center. And we got over there, and there's this long line that goes two blocks down of people from the convention that wanted to get in there. And that's when I noticed it. Just across the street was this bar. And I said, Mom and Dad, let's go there. And my mom, all of a sudden we had this brief conversation. Well, is it right for a Christian to go there? I mean, after all, look at all those line of people. They don't want to go in there. And we might be seen, you know, and it's like, you know, is this, is it courageous to go in there as a Christian? And, or, is it, or is it somehow compromising your faith if you went in there? We literally went in there. There was only one. Well, actually, we were the first ones in there. <laughs> we were the first ones in there. We said that we had the greatest burgers, I'm telling you. And then one other couple came in. That was it. Can you imagine? But we got our lunch first. We went back. There were still people standing in line at the spaghetti factory, right? I don't remember where I'm at now. But anyway, um, but, you know, <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, I'm thinking, is, is this something that will compromise my faith or is this something that will help my, you know, that will show courage? And, it, and I thought about that and it's just, you know, that really depends on which side of the sword you happen to be looking at. Well, at this point, all the stuff that I'm discovering in this text is true, and it's good, but I'm just not sure that that's what the point is, right? And I'd be wasting your time to walk you through all of that stuff, so I just kept looking. Verse 24 strikes me. Jesus left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. I just, just really quickly here. Tyre, you realize that that's actually the only, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is technically outside, completely outside the country of Israel, the territory of Israel. It's not, it's, just, it's, not that he's, it's not just that he's not in where the Gentiles are. He's left the country. I mean, basically, he's up northwest, if you're looking at it on the map here, northwest of, out of Israel. And so look what it says. It says, he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman uh, whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syri Syrian uh, Phoenicia. Uh, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now listen to what Jesus says. This is a troubling statement. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread... Did I read that right? Children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Wow, but listen to this woman. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table are 
uh, eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found her daughter or her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And I remembered somebody asking me about this as a, as a young uh, Christian minister, you know, and I, I didn't have a clue what this text was really talking about then. And I started looking at this text then, uh, this week, and I realized I, I still wasn't sure what this text meant. But it's just a troubling text to me. You know, I mean, and, and in fact, I, I just have to be really honest with you. I, I, I'm just about half offended by this text. Now, it's not unusual to be offended. I was reading this week, you know, have you ever seen some of those signs, you know, that, uh, you know, you see you at my house, you know, before lunch on Sunday, signed God. You ever seen those? Um, I think that the... the uh, Assemblies of God has them on their sign all the time down here. You know, you know, which part of the Ten Commandments don't you understand? God, you know, you've never seen that. Well, there's, this, uh, there's a secular humanist. Uh, basically, that means he was, he's an atheist. He has put out a thing on his website that he's just totally offended. He thinks that it's immoral that you would ever sign God's name to something that God didn't say. <laughs> Did you hear that? that's just really interesting for a guy that doesn't even believe in God. Now he feels like he needs to defend God. <laughs> um, but be that it may, as it may, he's offended by it. And that got me to looking around, and I found this site. I'm, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but there's a site out there that says, uh, it says, or it sells T-shirts that are anti-God t-shirts, and they're, they're actually pretty, I, I didn't stick around there too long, because I'm not even going to tell you what they said on them either. It's, it's pretty offensive. I'm just thinking, you know what? Uh, that, that kind of thing offends me. I don't know what that does to you, but, but that kind of thing offends me. One guy is offended because of the signs. I'm offended because of the t-shirts. It's not difficult for me when I understand that sometimes I'm offended by people in the way that they respond to the gospel or the way that they treat God. But you know, I find it really troubling when God offends me. And I'm, I'm really troubled by this text. I, I just have to be honest with you. It, it, it sounds a lot to me like Jesus is acting like the Pharisees that he's just got done condemning. This woman comes, she happens to be a Greek, and she says, you know what, my daughter is demon-possessed, and instead of responding to her with compassion, Jesus says, sorry, the gospel, the truth, the bread, it's, it's, it's only for Jews. And I just want to go, wait a minute, that's not right. I mean, I realize I'm arguing with Jesus at this point, but I, I still think it, it's just it's not right. And then the woman says, yeah, Jesus, you know, when some of those crumbs fall off the table, yeah, the dogs still get to lick up the crumbs. Now, by the way, dogs was a pretty common name for Gentiles back in those days. So I think this is pretty clear. And Jesus says, oh, wow, what a great answer. Uh, you need to go home and uh, your daughter's going to be healed. And lo and behold, she goes home, her daughter's healed. And I, I, I find myself thinking, you know, what in the world? I got to thinking about how sometimes I, I, 
I live this kind of double standard that I don't allow Jesus to live? You know, Jesus is supposed to meet every need and, and, and meet every, people where they're at and everywhere he goes. I mean, that, that's really my expectation. That's what I've really come to, ex- to understand and expect. And yet, well, let me just put it this way. If we were as a church deciding that we we're going to send a missionary to Africa, what are some of the expectations that we would have of that missionary? We would expect them to learn the culture. We'd expect them to learn the language. We'd expect them to, to adapt to somehow to, to the things that are going on. They, they will become something like the people that they're trying to reach in order to cross the cultural barriers. But then I found myself looking, I, I just found myself realizing, you know, there's a lot of barriers that we have right now in this community, in our community, that a lot of barriers that I've never even attempted to cross so that I can understand the culture around me. I've never learned the cultural language or uh, uh, the, the, of, of this culture around me in order to reach the people around me. And now I think, wow, I am imposing a standard on Jesus that that not even that I am not even willing to live with for myself. Well, the last paragraph didn't help me at all. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. By the way, he's still with the Gentiles. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to, to the place to place his hand on the man. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed, loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more that he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And there's really nothing special about that. I've seen that all before. I've seen him. I've I've read the Gospels. I've looked at every single chapter of uh, of Mark, and, and in every chapter, Jesus does something that just amazes people. And, and, and that's when it just, it just struck me. The story had become so common. They were amazed, but I wasn't. And I had to be missing something. And as I reflected on it, I realized that I was getting too comfortable with the people in my pew, with the, the people in, in, that were, that I tend to rub shoulders with all the time, I wasn't struck at all by what was going on in this text. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized that maybe this woman was right after all. I mean, did you pay attention to verse number 27? Particularly that one? Her comment is, yes, but Jesus, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. But Jesus' statement was, first, let the children eat. Not only let the children eat, just first, let the children eat. 
See, I think in the mind of Jesus, he understood what this one woman understood, but he wanted his disciples to understand it before they made the next major step in their life, which shows up in chapter 8 when he, he's asking them to decide, am I the Messiah or am I not? And so here's what I think happens. I think this woman has it right when she says that Jesus came so that all can come. I think that's what she's trying to say. And I think that's what Mark wants you to understand. That Jesus came so that all can come. We're not to get caught up in whether our hands are clean or not. We're not to get caught up in the religiousness of, of, of our life where we have some things that are dedicated some things that are dedicated to God and some things that are not. That's that, that what is on the outside, he says, is not what's important. It isn't the color of a, man, of, of a man's skin. It isn't the language that a person speaks. It's, it's what's inside that person that has this connection to God. And, and, and this woman here in this text identifies this incredibly fundamental truth about what God is trying to do, that Jesus came for one single reason, so that all people, Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, that all could come. That is, that, that is the greatest news that God could ever possibly give to us. And here we have it right here. And the question is, are we ever going to offer it to the rest of the world? Are we, are we just going to be comfortable with the people that we are next to in our pew because, because they fit in our world? Or are we going to be willing to look within ourselves and understand that there may be something about this message that, that, that we need to hear, that there are folks out there who desperately need to know that Jesus came for them. Maybe, maybe you know, to, to understand that the reason why that Jesus came and, 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 you know, he says, come to me, eat the bread from my table. And if you can get it from the table, you know, if you can't get it from the table, get it from the floor because the bread's the bread. It's life to you. I, I just think that there's two things that I'd, I'd really like to ask you to do here. One is that if you know Jesus personally, to maybe look around and see some of the people that maybe aren't here, not sitting next to you that ought to be. Who's not listening to Jesus this morning that needs that bread. Don't keep it from them. Don't be selfish about that. And I think the other thing is just to ask if you're ready to take that next step in, that, in your journey to walk more closely with Jesus. To take the next step of obedience in your life. I said, love this. Jesus came so that all could come that we could all come. And I think that's the point. Let's pray together. God, what a wonderful thing it is when we read your word. It just opens up some avenues of understanding for us. And I just pray that as a church here, 
New Life Christian Church, that we wouldn't get too comfortable, but that we would, with where we're at, but that we would, we would just notice around us. God, this is, this, you've given us this great gift of your gospel, not to keep to ourselves. Help us to share it with others around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.